This audio lecture is based entirely upon the casebook Sales and Leases, a problem-based approach by Scott J. Burnham and Kristen Juris. The casebook is published by Callie E. Langdell Press and licensed Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International. That means that the authors have allowed everyone to copy and redistribute the material in any medium or format and remix, transform, and build upon the material as long as users give appropriate credit. Don't use the material for commercial purposes and redistribute contributions under the same license. Much thanks is due to the authors for writing this book and providing it to everyone for free. In furtherance of this spirit and in compliance with the original license, I also license this audio lecture as Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Contracts Lectures. This is lecture number 13. In this lecture, we'll be talking about common law remedy principles and the seller's remedies under the UCC. So moving to basic common law remedy concepts. To the extent not displaced by the UCC, common law principles governing remedies continue to apply both to buyers and sellers. Let us review some of those principles. At common law, you must first establish that one of the parties has breached the agreement. If a breach exists, the non-breaching party is entitled to be compensated for the losses suffered by the non-breaching party as a result of the breach. However, the following common law principles may limit the non-breaching party's ability to recover damages, that is, causation, foreseeability, certainty, and mitigation. The non-breaching party must establish that the breach caused the damage, that is, causation. The damages must have been reasonably foreseeable at the time of contracting. This limitation often makes it difficult to obtain consequential damages. As stated in Restatement Second of Contracts, Section 351, damages, quote, are not recoverable for loss that the party in breach did not have reason to foresee as a probable result of the breach when the contract was made. End quote. Section 2-7152 adopts the principle of foreseeability by limiting buyers' consequential damages to, quote, any loss resulting from general or particular requirements and needs of which the seller at the time of contracting had reason to know, end quote. The non-breaching party must be able to prove the amount of the damages 
with reasonable certainty. Damages need not be calculated with mathematical accuracy. Comment 1 to Section 1-305 rejects any doctrine that damages must be calculable with mathematical accuracy. You can estimate or approximate damages as long as there is some certainty involved. The breaching party may raise the affirmative defense of mitigation pursuant to which the non-breaching party has an obligation to reasonably mitigate his or her damages. The only explicit reference to mitigation in Article 2 appears in Section 2-7152, which adopts the principle of mitigation by limiting buyers' consequential damages to those, quote, which could not reasonably be prevented by cover or otherwise, end quote. Nevertheless, the common law principle must always be applied. Under the principle of freedom of contract, the parties, by agreement, may to some extent expand or limit otherwise available remedies or the measure of damages. However, because many of the principles are so strong, we will say that such provisions are not always enforceable. And moving to the purpose of remedies. The primary purpose of a contract remedy is to put the non-breaching party in as good a position as that party would have been in had the contract been performed. This is often referred to as the non-breaching party's expectation interest or the rule of expectancy. We will see that even though the UCC contains a lot of formulas for calculating damages, These are just ways of computing the expectancy. Section 1-305 incorporates the concept of fulfilling a party's expectation interest by stating that the, quote, remedies provided by the UCC must be liberally administered to the end that the aggrieved party may be put in as good a position as if the other party had fully performed. End quote. Sometimes a plaintiff may not be able to prove the value of the expectation interest with certainty or may conclude that another measure would be more favorable. In these situations, a party may seek two other measures of damages. The first, reliance interest. The purpose of this interest is to reimburse the non-breaching party for losses incurred by reliance on the contract, such as expenses incurred in preparing to perform. The rationale is to put the non-breaching party in the same position as if the contract had not been made, rather than as if the contract had been performed. And restitution interest. The purpose of this interest is to restore the non-breaching party any benefit conferred by her on the other party. Now moving to material versus immaterial breach and effect on remedies. At common law, it is important to classify a breach as material or immaterial because the remedies available depend upon 
the materiality of the breach. In both cases, damages are available as a remedy. However, it is only when a breach is material that the non-breaching party may be fully excused from further performance of his or her obligations and may terminate the contract. Except for certain situations such as installment contracts, the concept of materiality is not determinative of remedies under the UCC. For example, recall that the perfect tender rule of Section 2-601 allows the buyer to reject goods for any non-conformity, subject to the seller's right to cure and certain other limitations. And Section 2-607-1 requires the buyer to pay the contract price for any goods accepted rather than claim that its obligation to pay under the contract was discharged on grounds that the breach was material. Now moving to terminology. Different terms are used to describe different types of damages. Direct damages. Damages that flow directly and immediately from a breach. In the context of the sale of goods, a seller's direct damages include the lost profit that a seller would have made upon the sale of the goods. A buyer's direct damages would include any increase in price the buyer would have to pay to replace goods that seller fails to deliver. Incidental damages. Damages reasonably associated with or related to actual damages. A seller's incidental damages include costs reasonably incurred in stopping delivery, in transporting or storing the goods after the buyer's breach, or costs incurred in connection with the return or resale of the goods. A buyer's incidental damages include costs reasonably incurred in inspection, receipt, transportation, and storage of goods rightfully rejected, and reasonable expenses incurred in connection with effecting cover. Consequential damages. Consequential damages include losses that do not flow directly and immediately from a breach, but that result indirectly from the breach. Section 2-7152 defines a buyer's consequential damages to include 1. Any loss resulting from general or particular requirements and needs of which the seller knew or had reason to know at the time of contracting, and which could not have been reasonably prevented by cover or otherwise. And two, injury to person or property, proximately resulting from any breach of warranty. The UCC does not include a provision allowing consequential damages for sellers. See, for example, Section 2-708-1, which allows incidental but not consequential damages to a seller. Section 1-305 states that consequential damages are not allowed unless as specifically provided elsewhere in the UCC. Based on Section 1-305, several courts have held that the lack of a provision specifically allowing consequential damages to seller does, in fact, prevent the seller from recovering any consequential damages. In most jurisdictions, 
Attorney's fees are not allowed as part of incidental or consequential damages. There is an exception, however, if a party has to defend a foreseeable claim by a third party because of the breach. The breaching party may be responsible for attorney's fees incurred. For example, seller agreed to sell widgets to buyer, knowing that buyer planned to resell them to a third party. Seller repudiated, and buyer was not able to provide widgets to the third party, which sued the buyer. In its claim against seller, the buyer cannot recover attorney's fees expended in pursuing the claim. However, the buyer can recover from the seller attorney's fees it expended defending the claim of the third party. And the terms general damages and special damages are the terms used in pleading for direct and consequential damages. A plaintiff does not have to notify the defendant of general damages because they are, as defined in Black's Law Dictionary, quote, damages that the law presumes follow from the type of wrong complained of, end quote. In other words, one would generally be aware that such damages would naturally arise from a breach that could have been fairly and reasonably contemplated by both parties at the time the contract was made. But because special damages do not naturally arise from a breach, the plaintiff must plead them with particularity so the defendant has notice of them. And non-compensatory damages. Except in unusual cases, contract law does not compensate for non-economic injuries, nor does contract law allow punitive damages. One of the principles of contract law is that of efficient breach. This principle prevents a party from having to perform an inefficient contract. The party may deliberately breach a contract as long as the breaching party pays compensatory versus punitive damages arising from its breach. In other words, the breaching party is allowed to breach a contract if it decides that it is cheaper to breach than to continue performing under the contract. Punitive damages discourage parties to a contract from committing efficient breaches. Section 1-305 provides that punitive damages may not be had unless specifically provided by the UCC. With regard to non-economic injuries, such as emotional distress, such damages are excluded, quote, unless the breach also caused bodily harm or the contract is of such a kind that serious emotional disturbance was a particularly likely result. A contract for the sale of a casket is one of those rare contracts which could give rise to a cause of action for liability based on mental suffering. And finally, the party seeking damages has the burden of proof to establish damages caused by a breach. Now moving to UCC seller remedies. Section 2-703 sets forth seller's remedies in general. The remedies are cumulative. For example, the seller can withhold delivery of the goods, cancel the contract, and sue for damages. Note, however, that the seller is not entitled to be overcompensated. 
The remedies available to an aggrieved seller include, one, the right to withhold or stop delivery of goods, the right to resell the goods and recover damages as provided at Section 2-706, the right to recover damages for non-acceptance as provided at 2-708, using the market price as a measure of damages, or, in appropriate cases, the lost profit on sale. In certain circumstances, the right to recover the purchase price of the goods as provided in Section 2-709, or the right to cancel the contract. In recovery of the purchase price, there are only three situations which allow a seller to recover the purchase price from the buyer. One, where the buyer has accepted the goods. And most courts interpret this provision to mean that the buyer is in possession of the goods. Two, where the goods have been destroyed after the risk of loss has passed to the buyer. And three, where the seller is unable to resell the goods identified to the contract at a reasonable price. If the seller has the goods and successfully sues for the price, he must hold any goods which have been identified to the contract and which are still in his control for the buyer. In the remedy of resale, under Section 2-706, a seller may resell the goods identified to the contract in good faith and in a commercially reasonable manner at either a private sale or a public sale and recover damages under the following formula. The contract price minus the resale price plus incidental damages minus expenses saved by the seller. In addition, Section 2-706 requires that the seller give the buyer notice of his intent to resell. Since the remedy gives the seller the difference between the contract price and the resale price, the buyer has an interest in seeing that the seller gets as high a resale price as possible. Under Section 2-7093, for a private sale, the seller must give the buyer reasonable notification of his intention to resell. Although some sellers have argued that the buyer should have reasonably known that the seller would resell, most courts have required strict compliance with the notice provision. Under Section 2-7094, for a public sale, the seller must give the buyer reasonable notice of the time and place of the auction unless the goods are perishable or threatened to decline quickly in value. In the market price remedy. Under Section 2-7081, instead of reselling the goods and seeking damages under Section 2-706, a seller may seek damages from a breaching buyer based upon the market price of the goods, applying the following formula. The contract price minus the market price at the time and place for tender, plus incidental damages minus expenses saved by the seller. So how do we establish market price if there is no readily available market price at the time and place of tender? 
go to section 2-723, which provides that where market prices are not readily available, quote, the price prevailing within any reasonable time before or after the time described or at any other place which in commercial judgment or under usage of trade would serve as a reasonable substitute for the one described may be used, making any proper allowances for the cost of transporting the goods to or from such other place. End quote. And lost profit. If the measure of damages under section 2-708-1 is inadequate, then the seller can seek recovery under section 2-708-2, which allows as damages the seller's lost profit on the sale, including reasonable overhead plus incidental damages. And finally, unfinished goods. Under section 2-704-2, the seller may complete the manufacture of unfinished goods if the seller reasonably believes that it will mitigate the damages caused by the buyer's breach. It is instructive to compare this section with the common law rule exemplified in the case of Rockingham Company versus Luton Bridge Company. In that case, after the county contracted for the building of a bridge, it breached the contract by telling the contractor it did not want the bridge. The contractor nevertheless completed the bridge and claimed the contract price. The court held that after repudiation, a party may not continue to perform and thereby increase the damages. And that brings us to the end of this lecture. Thanks, everybody, and take care.